Well, hello and uh, happy uh, ha- happy end to the spooky season. I hope you had a good Halloween out there. I hope you got a lot of candy. I hope uh, hope you got a lot of good scares, uh, and hope everybody had a fun and safe Halloween. We are coming to the end, the end Al, of Horror Fest. We're at the we're at the very we're at the precipice of the last episode right here in this moment. And as usual, uh, I am Josh the Wise Sage. With me, as always, on Horror Fest uh, is Al Red Lanyard. Al, how you doing tonight, man? I'm sad, Josh. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm really sad. All you have to look forward to now is uh, bad Christmas movies. Yeah. I mean, hey, it's it's a replacement. That's, yeah, that's true. what I'll say. <laughs> that is fair. That is fair. It, it, is, it is a replacement. Um, but yeah. No, we're we're at the end here, and uh, you know we're you know I, I, I every year I, I I enjoy this, and I, I think uh, I think this year was uh, fantastic, and as always, man, I just I thank you so much for for doing this with me, and uh, and uh, for the opportunity to talk about all this uh, all these crazy uh, crazy horror movies with you, man, and uh, it, it's always a pleasure. Oh, of course, man. I mean, hey, I would not I would not want to do this kind of show with anybody else, so. It's always a blast, and, and this year was good, and hopefully next year will be even better. You know, we got some plans. I'm in the process of laying down, so 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 we got that on the horizon. But, yeah, thank you for doing it with me, and thank everybody out there who hangs out with us every year. You know, we appreciate it. Yeah, we always have a good time, and thank you for listening. And uh, like uh, like we always say, you know, if you have any suggestions or anything, of course, you know, we're, we're, we're going to we'll do this you know, in another 360 odd days or so. Uh, but if you have any suggestions before then, obviously get them to us. And speaking of uh, other stuff we got going on, uh, other spooky stuff we got all going on, Al, you did a spooky Star Wars EU or you review, right? I did. I did indeed. Uh, just like the just like the guy who invented ice cream sandwiches, I took two things I love and just kind of mashed them together until a reasonable product came out of it. So, um, yeah, we recently covered one of the the very um, few and very scarce um, horror stories uh, that take place in the Star Wars world. Hopefully there are more to come in the future. But, um, yeah, if anything, um, if anything about zombies and Star Wars sounds good, then you can head on over to, uh, well, just one episode down from this list, I guess, um, and check that out if you want to. Yeah, absolutely. It's a uh, spook field. Uh, was it uh, uh, Death Death Troopers? Is that what's called? Yep, yep. We covered Death Troopers. It's one of the old canon um, novels that came out in the late two thousands, um, and it's a lot of fun. So yeah, hope everybody checks probably, it out. Probably a pretty good time to do that. Not to uh, make any spoilers for Ahsoka, but you know there are there are something akin to Death Troopers in Ahsoka. So uh, yeah, they probably have. Yeah, with they have made an interesting and not altogether expected reappearance in the new yeah, canon. So yeah, so yeah, yeah. time kind of worked out for us on that one. Exactly. Uh, I don't. I don't think that was planned at all. I think you guys probably had. I think you guys had that one planned like a couple months ago. You, that was your October one, I believe. So, so once again, Phantom correspondence ahead of the game. Ahead as of the game. Go, ahead of the game, baby. Ahead of the game, y'all. As soon as we recorded that episode of the podcast um people from disney uh came and kidnapped my family 
and I haven't yeah. seen them since. But that's what we're about, man. You know that that makes sense. That's how Disney works these days. You know, they're uh, they're pretty they're pretty hardcore nowadays. So you know, you can't mm-hmm. can't uh, can't run afoul of Disney anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, yeah, uh, completely. There's no way to segue into our movie <laughs> from that. There's just none. Uh, you know, um, I guess I can maybe segue because David Allen did work at Disney for a bit. Um, but yeah, we're, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about one of my favorite movies, uh, uh, Puppet Master, the very first one. I'm going to admit to you, Al, uh, my favorite Puppet Master is actually probably the third one, but I thought we'd probably better do the first one because the third one doesn't make a whole lot of sense without the context of it. Um, I mean, he, if there's I, one thing you need to enjoy this franchise is context. So, I well, here's so, so here. Okay. So, so that is a good segue in this. Okay. So one of the reasons I want to do Puppet Master, okay, is that Puppet Master has been fairly controversial for the last few years because they try to do this reboot in 2018 called Puppet Master, and I'm not kidding, The Littlest Reich. I'm just going to let that set in for a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich, <laughs> where oh. um, where they, they take Andre Toulon, who is the kind of the protagonist of puppet master so to speak not so much in this one but uh he's kind of the one through uh through the whole like he's kind of the one uh uh character throughout the whole series it kind of sticks around um they take him and make him a nazi um and then oh. yeah exactly and then um they turn the puppets into little nazi puppets And what's hilarious about this, okay, is that this was so poorly received that in 2020 they released a solo film for Blade where Blade is a Nazi hunter going back to the old canon. So I don't know if they're trying to have two separate canons at this point. I don't, I I really don't know what's, what's happening. Um, But like it it really, so like, so yes, it's funny when I say you need context for these films. But um, apparently someone else didn't have that context uh, when they were writing the movies in 2018 and just, you know, took the the uh, the very the the puppets who were who had become very well-known antiheroes, mainly for killing Nazis um, and turned them into Nazis themselves. That was a very depressing thing that happened to me. And, uh, so, uh, so yeah, so, so just want to put that out there because that is the, that's the context of the movies that we have now right. is that no one really knows what they are anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, we're just fine because that's probably going back to what was happening in 1989 when this was made, because no one really knew what was happening here either. Yeah. Well, I mean, Josh, you know what they say, man, either you die the hero or you live long enough to, to see yourself become the villain. Yeah. And right. I don't think that applies to anybody in this world more than it applies to the characters of the puppet master franchise. So that's you know, fair. That's totally fair. Know. So, so, you know, if anything, there's a lot to learn from puppet master. The it'll was right about how things change. Yeah. Um, yeah over time. Sure. Um, and also I think, I think there's a kindergarten in, in Charleston, South Carolina called <laughs> called that there was no need to put Carlson, south carolina on blast like that there was none whatsoever yeah yeah you're right well they should be less racist anyway oh man well um 
So I want to start by asking you, you know, Al, what is your what is your experience with Puppet Master movies? Have you seen have you and you seen this one before? Have you seen any others? So I have seen some of them. Um, I have not seen them in any kind of chronological or release order. I've basically caught bits and pieces here, here and there. Um, I saw them a lot when I was growing up uh, because, um, hey, kids out there, way back in the day, uh, we didn't have streaming services that allowed us to choose anything we wanted to watch as long as we paid, you know, $800 in fees to have all of the services. Mm -hmm. Instead, we just kind of had whatever was on TV. And you had to channel surf and just kind of watch whatever you found. So that led to some really fortunate horror discoveries that I made. Um, So um, that's actually uh, the way I first watched Halloween, which has become one of my favorite horror films, was uh, the first time I actually caught it on TV when AMC was doing the Halloween marathon uh, that they did every year in October. And so I caught like almost all of those films uh, that way. But um, Puppet Master was also a series that like um, I'd just be channel surfing, trying to find something to watch. This thing about spooky dolls came up and I was just kind of like, you know, I like spooky dolls. I think they can be pretty cool when done well. And so um, I watch um, just series here and there. I've seen I've seen parts of this one. I've seen parts of the one that uh, takes place during World War II. Um, I saw I've seen bits and pieces of the more recent ones. So it's kind of a orgish board experience I've had. Kind of a shotgun blast of a bit faster that I've been hit by over the years. But um, this was probably the first or second time. I've sat down and watched one all the way through. Um, I think I've seen this first one twice now because I did make an effort in college to actually see it all in one piece. Um, but college was a long time ago. Um, as, my body, as my body aches remind me every day. So it has been a while. It has been a while. Well, I, this is a, it's funny, you know, um, because Puppet Master was like, it's probably the first cult horror movie that I got into. And as this will not shock you, I got into it due to uh, finding these action figures. And uh, when I was, wow, nice. exactly. So when I was, when I was 15, 16, something like that, uh, there was a magazine that was out called Collecting Figures. And it was my favorite magazine. I used to go to Books A Million, get it every month at uh, at Books A Million. It was a $7 magazine, which in 2000 was insane. Um, wow. It was a big, chunky magazine. It always had, like, different uh, the action figures that were coming out at that time. And uh, and so, like, also, also, just as an aside, also extremely Beanie Baby focused, which wasn't really my focus, but they did a lot of Beanie Babies in it. And I only say that to say this. The first time I ever saw anything about Puppet Master was in Collecting Figures, and it was the opposite of, they had an advertisement for the Full Moon figures, I'll never forget this, that was opposite of the heart, the the bear that had the, the first bear that had the red heart, that was a Beanie Baby. And those two pages were opposite of each other, I'll never forget that. 
and they had Blade and Pinhead were the first two figures they were putting out. And I just remember looking at Blade and being like, this is the coolest thing I've seen. Because he has this, like, this, got this, like, overcoat, you know, like, trench coat thing with, like, these, you know, Edward Scissorhand kind of hands, but, like, you know, and, like, his eyes are the little pop-out thing. I just, I just remember being drawn to him, being like, what in the world is this? And then one night, very similar to kind of the experience you had, although it wasn't AMC, uh, the Sci-Fi Channel, for whatever reason, would show Puppet Master movies all the time. Oh, yeah. Uh, back in the day. And I remember the first one I saw was the second one, which is a weird, weird movie. Very strange movie. Not like, not unlike this one, but, like, the second one's really weird. Um and uh, um, and I remember watching it and just like falling in love with like these little the, these little puppets. I mean, because they were they're they just were cool. I mean, they are. And uh, and so uh, I, I'll tell you that to tell you this. I'd always wanted one of the um, one of the scale two scale puppets that they that they made. They've made they've made them in several different ways. Um, the highest the high end ones are like three hundred fifty bucks. Um, but they did a they did a series that were basically two scale puppets that were probably in around the uh, probably in the fifty to seventy to eighty dollar range when they first came out, and of course now on the secondary market they've blown up. And one day when I was working at uh, working at the used goods stores I work at, uh, this woman came in and she brought it in. And I just didn't think there was like, you know, I, I just knew that you know we were kind of in a in a tough spot money wise ourselves. And I told her, I said, ma'am, I just, I can't offer you really what this thing is worth. Cause it's probably about a $200, uh, you know, $200 figure. Um, but like it's, we can't offer anything like that because we're going to put it on eBay and there's all these, uh, all this spill. And I was basically saying like, I really don't want to undersell on, on a puppet master. I felt like I was betraying myself sure? if I was undersell a puppet master, uh, figure. And so she took it out at one point and then her and her husband came back in and they said, Hey, we appreciate you being so honest. You can just have this. And they gave it to me and I've still got it to this day and it's wow. blame. And so like, uh, so Puppet Master has always like been there. Like it's, it's always been like something that's, uh, that that's kind of been like a weird, like part of my life, even though like, it's such a weird and strange movie. And it's a strange series of movies. And I really like, at some point, like, I think it'd be fun. I, I know you brought this up that where we watch all of them and just try to analyze them because they go to some strange places. I'd love to talk about the lore of Totem with you, who is a little puppet who's <laughs> an evil little demon and like he can see into the future and like he tries to manipulate the lives of the different puppets. Oh, it's so fat. It's fantastic. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, but for now, we don't have all of that. We've just got this one movie that was supposed to be a one off movie. Um, that is extremely weird and extremely dated. And uh, just just uh, just off the top of your head, Al, what are your what what would what are your opinions of this movie? Just just an overall opinion of this movie. It is. If I ever have to, from now on, if I ever have to try to describe to someone what the difference is between a e horror movie and a cult horror movie puppet master is probably one of the examples that i'm going to give um hide of the demons is probably going to be the another example i'll give um because puppet master 
Puppet Master is one of those films where everything about it is bizarre. And I'm not even talking about just what happens on screen. Everything yeah. about it is bizarre. Um, it's coming out in 1989. It didn't have a theatrical release. Nope. Um, because the, um, I think it was both the director and the producer were just like, this is going to be way more financially advantageous to us if we do not release in theater. <laughs> right. They they knew what they had on their hands. So it did not have a theatrical release. It went straight to the video, uh, which turned out to be a very good decision on their part. Um, um, it's coming out in 89. 89 to about 91 or so is a very weird era of horror specifically for like slasher and slasher adjacent films so you have a lot of of the long-running franchises are starting to kind of run their course they're starting to lose steam they're starting to lose the plot um, a lot of the time um you have the 90s coming up which saw very much a change or a transition from very much slasher-based horror into more supernatural-type stuff. So you have this thing, (laughs) this Puppet Master film, that's kind of towing all of these lines, because there's obviously supernatural stuff going on, but there's also kind of flares of slasher films going on as well. And it's definitely, like, a lower-quality film as far as, like, the acting, as far as the writing, as far as the production and things like that. But it hits enough sweet spots to still have this weird, persistent control over a just large enough fan base of horror (laughs) to... To get people interested, to get people interested in this weird kind of, um, it has the vibe, it has the same vibe of going like, hey, I've got this horror movie I want us to watch. It's October. It came out um, October 10th or October 12th or something of that year. Um, hey, let's go watch this. It's really weird. And I want to see what you think about it. Right. That is, that's the gateway drug into cult horror films <laughs> is that hey this is really weird you should come over and we'll check it out together okay and that for me is kind of where the line sits between like a b horror film and a cult horror film is that a b horror film is one that is is usually like lower quality it's not taking it itself as seriously as other stuff but because of that honesty, the audience knows exactly what it is going to get. So, like, you throw on Night of the Demons from the 80s, and you're just like, hey, let's watch this haunted house film where, like, a bunch of kids get, like, slaughtered and, like, weird special effects happen. And, like, it's a good way to, like, drink some beers and let, like, an hour and a half pass. With a cult film like this, it has a bit more... Um, it feels so disingenuous to say intrigue because there there isn't really anything intriguing about this film, but but there's there's that s- sort of allure to it where it's just kind of like 
um, hey, I've got this weird thing you want to like hang out and watch it and see what it's all about. Because that already has way more of a hook uh, than what you would expect from a film, kind of as weird and as low budget as this is. So, like, yeah, man, I mean, it's what you, or at least we, it's what we have kind of come to expect whenever a horror film comes out, um, small reception, small release, and it develops a cult following, everybody's first assumption about it without having seen it before is going to be, oh, there's something kind of weird about it. So, like, I'm interested. I'm at least intrigued as to what it is about it that, like, has its hooks in this small group of people. And um, I think, you know, I won't try to argue that this is the first cult horror film ever made, but it probably, in its own weird way, is one of the more influential ones just because it serves as such a solid prototype of what we come to expect from that kind of category of horror movie if that makes sense yeah it's definitely not the first cult horror movie but it it, it is it is one that is unique in how um it became a cult film because once again this movie does have this this movie and all of them really have this weird resurgence in the early 2000s simply through the uh rise of horror cons and the rise of horror merchandise, because that this Full Moon Productions really, you know, started making money off this movie because they got enough uh, people telling them, "We will give you money if you give us merchandise for this movie. We want to own something from Puppet Master," you know, um, and like that is what I think is fascinating about this movie because even if i mean the 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 icons of this movie even if you don't know what movie they're from when you go to like you know a horror con like the ones they've had in louisville or lexington or whatever and you see these these icons even if you don't know what they're from you you recognize them they they become they become that part of like almost like this collective unconscious uh to 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 quote uh, someone much smarter than me, but like this, like collective unconscious that happens within horror horror uh, circles, um, and so like there that that to me is what makes this movie fascinating, um, because and even that is even all that happens really in flying in the face of the fact that. Al, like, I mean, you know, like you were being somewhat nice when you said this movie's just not intriguing. Um, this is this is like categorically easily the second worst movie we watched on Horror Fest. Like it's it's not even like it's not. Even, I mean, the, like I, I still think the what was the weird alien thing we watched? Uh, the third kind was that it? Uh, fourth kind. Fourth kind. Yeah. Fourth kind is way worse than this movie. Um, I'm just gonna throw that out there. Um, but like this this is number two easily. Um, but what I will say about this movie. And I'm going to use an analogy here, okay? Do you know who Kyle Korver is, Al? Kyle yeah, yeah, I know who basketball Kyle Korver is, yeah. So he played for the Sixers, played for the Hawks, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, played played basketball. for. He had a pretty long career, about 14, 14 years or so. Kyle Korver mm -hmm. does one thing, and that is he shoots the basketball. 
when you have Kyle Korver on the court, you don't expect him to go out there and play defense. You know, he's, he's, he's okay at best. He doesn't get rebounds. He's not a particularly good passer, but he's going to stretch the floor. He's going to shoot the basketball. This movie is the Kyle Korver of movies because it does one thing well, and that is it. And it and it's to its credit, it spends a lot of time with that one thing, which is the puppeteering and the puppets and dealing with the puppets themselves. Everything else surrounding this movie is beyond bizarre. Um, and and it, it's because they I don't think, you know, this this movie almost seems like uh, it was put together like where they had invented the puppets and then they kind of built the movie around it <laughs> because nothing else about this movie makes sense. Um, but the puppeteering is fantastic in this movie. Uh, like I said, David Allen is a guy who, even if you don't know that name, you know his stuff. Al, he did all the he did all the special effects for The Howling, just to give mm-hmm. you a, just to give yeah. you an idea. He did the special effects for Willow. It's probably his most famous. Um, he was also the special effects for something is like I just love Hollywood in the eighties. Uh, the movie he did before this was Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Um, so like you know, so so the the big ant you know or the ant. And the big random scorpion in the background in the backyard. That's his. Okay. So like he's, you know, a very prominent. Okay. And and so there are moments in this movie where the the which I understand is dated, but the claymation and the uh, the ability of puppeteering that they pull off is well beyond what else is happening in this movie. Um and so, you know, I, I do think that that stuff is really good. And I want to come back to the puppets later. But I'll, right now, I want to focus on um, trying to make our way through this story of what is happening in this movie. Like, what is happening so that these people are getting to this place where they can become slaughtered by these puppets. So, you talked about 1989, what a weird time it is for horror. Um, as someone who was alive in 1989 who continues to look back on it and understands it from a pop culture standpoint, uh, 1989 is a weird time just in general. And one of the weird things that's happening in 1989 is the rise of psychics. Um, psychics uh, on television, uh, psychics on on uh, media, um, and the rise of like this like being able to understand uh, the the world beyond, so to speak. And so, of course, Puppet Master, Full Moon Productions, uh, Clark Brand and um, and uh, David Allen get together, and uh, and uh, Donald Schofield. He only did the first one. I can't I can't remember his name, but anyway, the director really doesn't matter. Um, they all get together and they decide they're going to do a movie about a bunch of psychics that get together and are trying to figure out. This guy, Alfred uh, Andre Toulon's meaning uh, or his ability to uh, use alchemy to maintain life. Okay. And the beginning of this movie, what's great about this movie is the beginning of this movie makes you think this is going to be a way different movie than anything else because we have (laughs) the Bodega Hotel in 1939. We have Nazis coming, Andre Toulon. We have have Blade running around uh, trying to figure out what the Nazis are doing. Um, where they use that crazy, like, you know, low cam effect, which honestly is fairly effective uh, considering the rest of this movie. 
um, where he's running around, he scares that woman, and it's hilarious. I, I laugh out loud every time. It's one of my favorite scenes where he just runs <laughs> to that woman, and that woman yells, and then he just kind of goes blah. You know, like it's just it's, so, <laughs> it's like it's so good. It's just so good. Um, and so like he runs back, and Andre Toulon is being played by William Hickey, who you might know as the one of the granddads or one of the uncles or some I can't remember who it is, but he's the guy with the bad hairpiece. In National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, um, so like it's, he's he's showing up in this movie to play for you know five minutes Andre Toulon, and he sits down and you know he's like he's like don't worry guys I'm gonna protect you. He stuffs all of the puppets into a suitcase and then he kills himself. Now here's what the story does not tell us: How does so how? So we're going to find out that Neil Gallagher uh, is is trying to figure out Andre Toulon's uh, a way of staying alive, and he pulls that off. Okay, he figures out alchemy. We don't know how he does it. We have no clue how he pulls that off. We just know that he does it. Mm-hmm. The other thing we don't figure out is how he comes into possession of these puppets, um, because the 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 way the movie starts, you're thinking that the point of this movie is going to be Someone's going to find these puppets and use them for evil. And what ends up happening, actually, is someone is going to figure out how these puppets are alive and use that to stay alive. And those two connections are never really made. Um, We have this weird scene at one point where they go to see Neil and he's in in the, and I I know I'm jumping ahead, but he's in the casket because he's killed himself. And then they walk away, and Pinhead crawls out of the casket, and uh, who is one of the puppets. Pinhead is one of the puppets. And that is the only time until the end of the movie that we have any visual acknowledgement that Neil and the puppets know each other. And I just feel like that's a weird oversight in a movie. (laughs) Like, isn't it a weird oversight in a movie, Al? Um, I guess... I guess you could say it's an oversight. Um, it's it's very much this thing where throughout the film up to this point, up to the point where like um, where Gallagher reveals himself, um, we're kind of led to believe that the puppets are just like psychotic assholes. Like they're just <laughs> they're just killing people of their own free will because like no. Puppet Master is like seen throughout the film, so like we are kind of left to infer that like um, oh like the guy who who made these puppets what they are he's gone so I guess they're just kind of kind of running rampant now, um, and then at the end it was just it's just so interesting because when I was watching it and stuff I watched it. And I knew the twist in that the guy was, like, not, like, all the way dead. He was reanimated or, like, however you want to say it. I knew that I knew about that part. I did not recall how, um, I'm trying to think of how to say this, how, how hand-wavingly convoluted it is, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Because yep. we get to the reveal, and Gallagher is just like, ha-ha, I'm here. 
And they were just like, oh, we thought you died. And he was just like, I did die. They were just like, what? And he was just like, well, I reanimated myself. Just like old boy reanimated all these puppets. And from that point on, the the two survivors, Alex and, and Gallagher's wife, whose first name I don't even recall. Megan. They, yeah, they take that information and are just like, Mm, it all makes sense <laughs> because we don't get any more any more revelation than that. It's very much just, yep, I'm alive because I reanimated myself, just like these puppets. And they were just like, okay, I'm with you. Now what? <laughs> and it's just, it's just so, it's so hand waved where there were so many easier ways to go about that twist they could have just been like oh i like i used the the alchemy spells to create a body double of myself and that's the corpse of the coffin you could have said i just faked my own death i could have said i've learned spells to like make myself immune to pain and that's why when you all stabbed me in the chest earlier when i was in the coffin that's why i didn't react they could have done any sort of things and instead, they decided to just be like, no, I reanimated myself just in the same way that these puppets were animated by some mysterious Egyptian life force. And the survivors are just like, all right, that's all I need to know. And yeah. it's just <laughs> it's just a very unsatisfying way to handle it. But then the movie just carries on. So you don't really have a lot of time to process that. No. No, the movie the, I think that would be the the tagline for the first puppet master should be Puppet Master. This movie just carries on. Um <laughs> because, you know, like there are things happening in this movie that seem to hint at other stuff. So for example, okay, there's a when when Neil we're jumping all the way to the end now. But when Neil when the puppets turn on Neil because Neil's stupid and you know, like is like I don't need these puppets anymore. And so they all decide to kill him. Um when they turn on him, Blade cuts off his fingers and his fingers start bleeding this green liquid. Okay. So in the second movie, it's explained that the way the alchemy works is through a uh, compound that Toulon had created that leads to this green liquid. And once you let this green liquid replace the blood in your body, you can live forever. That is how the compound works, okay? Now, that took me 15 seconds to say. Why didn't they say that in this movie? <laughs> I don't like, know. I mean, it's because like, it's clearly, it's clear that, that that's what, that, that, they're inferring that is go that's what happened anyway, because he's not bleeding red anymore. So like it's clear they're inferring that. Um, so like why didn't they why didn't they just go with that? And well, like it's also this thing where the ending, the ending of the film, feels very unsure of how to treat Gallagher as like the big bad of the story, right? Because they're just like okay, he did this weird thing we are going to skip over that you don't need to know and so you're just kind of like well okay fine and then he says he looks at alex and he's just like in order to kill me you'll have to destroy the entire vessel that now holds my soul in a way you could never possibly do 
And then he dies by just the puppets killing him like they would anybody else. Well, and so you're just kind of like, oh, huh, I guess, I guess he was wrong about that. I guess. Yeah. So, no, well, no, he dies an unnatural death. Remember, that's that's the whole point. So, like, but that, okay, another thing that's not explained in this movie. Okay. So, the reason the puppets could pull off all the stuff they do, of course, is that they're magic. All right. I mean, obviously. So, like, so. Once, like, once again, I kind of wondered, like, if we should have watched the second movie, too, not to put you through two of these. But, like, it does seem like the second movie, like, look at the first movie, we're like, holy crap, we were successful at this? Well, maybe we should actually try. Because, like, there, a lot of that's explained in the second movie. For example, like, the, the way that three leeches can kill you is because they're not natural. Like, she's a, she's a, she's magic and she's pulling these things from the depths of hell. And so, like, so these concepts that are, once again, inferred, they're not told us, we have to kind of put things together ourselves. Um, so, like, what what is actually said there is, like, I can't die naturally. And then uh, Alex says, so, you, but you can die unnaturally, okay? And that is the, that is the inference there, is that because they are unnatural creations as well, that they're able to kill them. That's what the second movie goes with. I'm not saying that makes sense. I'm just saying it's an explanation. And once again, it's a, it's a convoluted thing that doesn't even need to be in this movie because you don't need it, particularly for the ending you've created. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, dude. I uh, mean, I, I can't try to sit here and just be like, well, they shouldn't add lore that explains things retroactively because, like, <laughs> every horror franchise does that. So, um, <laughs> well, that is but, true, but, like, <laughs> But, but, you know, like, but I think it is a valid critique. Look, here, here's what I will say, okay, is like, when, when I sat down to watch this, the first time I've ever watched it critically, um, I've never attempted to critique this movie, not once, because I know, I knew, okay, like, I know, I know why I'm watching this movie, okay? I watch this movie because Blade cracks me up, because Pinhead with the little fist, you know, uh, in his, in, you know, with the clearly little person fist in his in his body makes me laugh every single time you know um i watch it because i think i think leech girl is grotesque and hilarious you know i think i think the idea of a little puppet with a with a drill on his head is amazing okay like these are the reasons i watch this movie but the problem is when you ask me to critique this movie and like wor worry about the plot or lack thereof it, the movie unravels really quickly because, like, so many of the so 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 many of the things that happen in this movie just happen, and then people move on. So you have like these like you have these these weird moments at the beginning of this movie, where, like, I'll ask you this, okay? For, is Frank Forrester? So Frank Forrester, if if I have to explain it to you, is I guess the boyfriend of the psychic who can touch things and understand what is has happening on those objects, okay? Right. But like at the beginning of this movie. He's either a like he's either pretending to be a psychic or is a psychic. Um because like they're doing this like weird test that's not explained where they they hook these wires up to this woman and they say, Hey, you know, have your craziest sexual fantasy and then you know just think about it really hard. And so then like he's watching this woman and trying to think about the sexual fantasy, but like 
the other psychic's not getting anything he's saying. So I guess we're once again, are, we're supposed to infer from that he's not a real psychic, right? I guess. Well, see, I don't know. I don't know if that was the script trying to be clever or if the script be uh, was being inadvertently lazy. Because there's, cause there's the argument in that first scene, which, like, <laughs> which while watching it, I was just like, wow, they took the paranormal research scene from Ghostbusters and turned it even more inappropriate. That's incredible. Right. Um, but that scene, him asking, um, his girlfriend, um, Larissa, is that her name? Yes. Him asking, asking Clarissa if she was picking up on any psychic energy from the test subject in the other room. The premise of that does not make any sense because Clarissa's whole thing is that she only experiences psychic energies of things that she's actively touching and interacting with. So the place that she's in or or the bed that she's in or the tub that she's in. So there appears to be for Clarissa the need for physical stimuli to actually um, receive any energy from. Um, I know I am trying to go about this nonsensical paranormal <laughs> research experiment <laughs> as scientifically and empirically as I can. <laughs> right, exactly. But... So him asking her if he was, if she was getting any of that, that question doesn't make sense because that's not how her psychic abilities work. That's fair. So, so I don't know if the implication there is that Frank just has a really specific psychic ability where he just like, he can feel this actual fantasy of other people if they think about it, which is a very specific power to have. That's like a, gosh, it's like an F tier X-Men type of power there. Right. Just like, I can see the sexual fantasies that they have, but only as they're having them. Um, um, so again, I don't know if that's the script trying to be like, Hey, um, Frank is kind of an idiot, uh, because he is, um, so why would she even be experiencing anything there? Or if the script was just kind of lazy and just being like, oh, I don't know, man, they're doing an experiment and he's asking her about it. Like, let's, let's move on to the phone call they need to have in order for the rest of the story to happen. I don't right. know. I don't know which one it is. Well, because it's it's weird because you know we don't we never figure out what okay no actually I forget Alex is a Alex is, is a professor of anthropology yes which fantastic um, I think that's great that is a very yeah. good choice of career for someone who has a very specific psychic ability <laughs> right. right so that's what he is then we've got um, I have to pay the bill somehow right. Then we've got Dana, who is a uh, fortune teller, right. um, you know, who is based, you know, who 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 is just straight up lying to people. Um, and then we've got these two, uh, this couple that is 
you know, working and doing like scientific research. And they all apparently know Neil, who once again, where we see him, you know, like we kind of are to believe he's a psychic, but we're never really told what his psychic ability was. Um, but like, you know, the, you've got all the, you've got these psychics that have gotten together. And so they, they're all called to this bodega hotel um, where they get there and immediately like start having weird, you know, visions and stuff like that. Like, you know, they start having headaches. Um, I will say this. Okay. And I would have warned you about this. Cause I mean, it's, I, I don't, you know, I always try to warn people about triggers. Um, there is a, a, extremely exploitative uh sexual assault scene in this movie that goes literally nowhere that is unnecessary to anything that happens for and no, it's so, no reason at all it's so unnecessary it's almost funny and i hate to say that about something but like but because like it's 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 the reason it's almost funny al is because it raises so many more questions because the way I took it is like no one's been at this hotel for a while. They don't say that, but it's definitely implied. There's no one at the hotel now, and it's like in the middle of the summer. Like the beach is real pretty and everything. So the way I kind of took it was like this place, which has been gifted to Megan, um, you know, through her parents, is just been shut down. So who was that woman to begin with? And we never learn. It never has any bearing on the story. So, like, did Neil kill her? Did, like, you know, was, like, the, you know, is it all that All that adds to it is, like, well, Neil's really horrible. But, once again, we already know, or we don't already know that, but we're going to learn that. that it was un, It's the most unnecessary scene, you know, mm-hmm. in, in anything. And, like, I would, and, like, I would say, and here's what I would say is, like, oh, well, they needed that scene to explain how, Clarissa's uh, powers work, but then like, after having this traumatic experience, like, a scene later, she's on Clark Gable and Carol Lombard's bed, and she's having like this weird, you know, like, this weird, you know, sexual experience on the bed, you know, and like, so like, like, why didn't you just use that? Like, it's, it's, you know, that explains her powers very well. And just as awkwardly, so like it doesn't even, you know, like you're you're not missing out on anything, you know. It's it's it was very strange, and I don't I don't I had I'll be honest, like it's such a nonsense scene that once again I didn't I'd forgotten it existed. It kind of jarred me because mm-hmm. there's no reason for it. Like it has it has nothing to do with the rest of this movie, and so uh, you know, just uh, kids, when you're watching your '80s movies, you know, remember, um, you know. Uh, th- this stuff exists a lot in these eighties movies yeah. <laughs> for, for no reason, and they just, stuff. they just kind of throw it in there, you know, and like you know, uh, yeah, you know, be thankful you live in the woke era, guys, because say what you will, you know, uh, you know, this stuff doesn't happen anymore like that, and uh, or at least d- it doesn't tend not to happen in movies like that anymore. Um, so I don't know, that was that was weird. Um, everything about Clarissa and Frank is weird, I think. Um, you know, like, I don't, um, you know, like, their entire demeanor and the way they go about things. Clarissa is a very, like, non-character, except when she's having these experiences. She has two of them. She has one on the bed. She has one in the tub. Um, you know, and then, like, Frank is just kind of like, 
well, since that's happening, you know, let's try and get in touch with Neil, you know, through this. And, and like, and then, so, so Al, like, so, so I'm going to ask you, and I, cause like you, you've done a good job of explaining things that don't make any sense to me, even though I've seen this movie 20 times. <laughs> She's in the tub. She's having this experience where, uh, two, two ladies that were in the Navy, uh, you know, apparently had some type of get together in this tub. So she's experiencing that herself. And Frank comes in and says, well, since you're already hot and bothered, why don't we try to use that to figure to, to contact Neil? Okay. Mm-hmm. So what are the power sets? Of course, like, yeah, like <laughs> what, what exactly is happening? Because the way they do that is through having, um, well, they, they attempt to have sex uh, on on the Clark Gable Carol Lombard bed, but I have no idea how that's supposed to get in touch with Neil or to figure out what Neil was doing or to, you know, understand uh, uh, Neil's last days, um, which it seems to be what they were attempting to do. Because in the scene before that, he literally says, tomorrow we're just going to tear this place up and figure things out. So, like... But, like, it seems like he doesn't get, once again, it's like it would have been easier if he just be like, well, since you're hot and bothered, let's just, you know, let, let's get together on the bed. You know, like, no, he says so we can contact Neil. So what are they doing there? Like, what is happening? <laughs> um, so I'm really glad you asked me about this. Okay. I, I so, am too. So just so everybody knows, I'm going to go into... Uh, just a little bit of a tangent, very quickly bring things back into the movie, that I know full well that I am probably giving the filmmakers of Puppet Master a little bit too much credit to think that this was their intent. Okay. <laughs> but I'll see how I'll see what Josh thinks after I'm done. I'm excited. Um, get his take on it. So when that scene came up and they went from the tub to like... Um, to having sex in the bed and um, especially like the preamble to having sex in the bed, which was Frank like doing a voice recording of his notes for about to be like having his like experiment that they were about to have. Yes. The thing that came to mind, and this is coming from someone who has done like a lot of like, reading about the occult in my own time because I think it's just an interesting topic to learn about. Um, uh, especially if you're somebody um, like me who doesn't actually believe in any of it. Um, when that scene came up, the thought that came to mind was, oh, is this an experiment they're about to do on like Aleister Crowley-esque like magic stuff <laughs> because for anybody who doesn't know Alistair Crowley is a real life example of somebody who was into the occult who who studied like old religions and mythologies to try to figure out like how to do do magic and use psychic abilities and things like that um, a real life guy um, he was awful as a heads up, everybody out there, who's terrible dude, but um, but this is very much 
what his studies, what his writings and things like that entailed is that if you want to do magical things like rituals or use your psychic energies, uh, the best type of ritual to do that often includes some kind of sexual intercourse. And so when he's setting up his notes in his voice recorder and they're talking about like, well, let's do this experiment to see if we can get in touch with Neil. That's what struck me is that they were doing some kind of, of pseudo scientific approach to Crowdian um, magic. Now, do I think that the filmmakers of Puppet Master in 1989 had a had a thorough understanding of Crowleyan magical rituals that they were basing this scene off of? No, not really. They probably <laughs> did not. <laughs> but that's just what it reminded me of, and that's just the headcanon I'm going to use. <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm at on that scene, Josh. Yeah, I mean that that uh, that that's as good of an explanation as any. Um, you know, I have a better explanation. They needed them in the bed to pull off the scene. Mm. That is that is the that is the explanation I have. Um, and they didn't know how to get there, and so they got there. They got to that part, and they were going to shoot it. And then somebody said, probably the grip. Uh, said, uh, sir, we don't have anything for them to say uh, before they get in bed. And so then the director went, have them say, we're going to be looking for Neil's energies or some some BS like that, and then they can get in the bed. And then we're going to have Tunneler come and kill her. And she's just going to watch it happen. And it's going to be amazing. Um, and like, I, I personally think like that is, that's probably, that's probably the real explanation, but I like the Crowley explanation a lot. I, I would actually, I really hope what I really hope happened is the exact same sequence happened, but like one of the grips was like, well, actually what Crowley would do is this. And then like the director was like, well, we'll do that then. Okay. That, that is what we'll do. And it'll be a fun little like Easter egg that Al Mattingly will get, you know, 35 years later. And uh, it'll be it'll be just be fun, you know. Like it'll be good for everybody, you know, if we just pull this off here. Um, I, man, I'm gonna be honest. I think I'm gonna side with the <laughs> thing. Gonna side with the story that one of um, the camera grips took like a couple random um, college classes in pseudo religious studies. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm gonna go with that. <laughs> yeah, that that's that story I'm going with. Um, speaking of stories, we're going with. Let, let's talk about Dana just for a bit. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on her, but she's just very weird. Who oh, may be the weirdest character, like pseudo protagonist in a horror movie ever. Can you think of a weirder one? Oh, that's a good question. Like um, she, she'd be up there, right? Because okay, so, so let's just go through the list. Okay, so she's a fortune teller. Mm-hmm. Um. Her powers are supposedly that she can, like, predict someone's future, which also, by the way, seems to, like, overlap with Alex's, but that's okay. But that she can predict someone's future, um, and that her other powers, although we never actually see this pulled off, is that she has, like, some weird training in, like, maybe voodoo, where she can put protection spells on people. 
um, it is it is telling that every person she puts a protection spell on dies. The only person she doesn't put a protection spell on is Alex. Oh no, forgive me. She doesn't put a protection spell on Alex. Never mind. I forgot. I forgot. She rubs that weird thing on his hand. Um, but other than that, like everyone else dies. Um, she has a dog that she has stuffed and carries everywhere. Um, that she has a very weird relationship to, where at one point it's like it's very private thing. And then at another point, she's just, like, carrying it around the hall, you know, just, like, whatever, you know. Um, I don't understand her character, Al. Like, what, like, I, I, you, you brought her up pretty early on, uh, or maybe it was before we started talking about her mm. fantastic accent. Um, yeah, so, like, you know, what, what, do you, what do you think of our girl Dana? What do you think? I think, um, yeah, I think that sometimes in a horror film you just if you aren't sure if there's a person or if there's a character in the script yet for the audience to just universally hate you have to create one and i think that's where this Dana came in <laughs> um she is so bizarre so she is the the perfect stereotype of the type of people I try to avoid having in my life. She, <laughs> she's, first of all, she's not very nice. <laughs> that's the that's the first strike against her. She's very mean. S- second of all, it's there's something that really bothers me about the character type. I don't even want to say it's an archetype because I don't know if it comes up often enough but there's something that really bothers me about the character type where they are doing a fake version of what their secret power actually is that in and of itself is fine but they're really like just kind of shitty about it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's the thing with Dana. Like, there are characters I love who do that kind of shtick. Um, um, in comic books, for example, you know, you, you have Zatanna who does stage shows, like, as a magician. And, like, and that's great because she's doing it and she's having fun and she's doing, like, all the crowd work and, like, he's really um, into it and it's fine. <laughs> but Dana... Towards the beginning of the movie, when Dana is is giving that couple their fortune, um, it's it looks like it's just the biggest chore she has ever been asked to do, and like it's kind of understandable because when you can actually tell people's fortunes, I doubt you want to have your job be like you hang out in a tent and tell these these carnival goers like the secrets their future holds but she's so not into it and it's so easy to tell because she just like she gives a really confusing kind of prediction about the guy there because she just kind of like his girlfriend in the tent is just like "Um, is he ever going to get a real job which like whoa 
uncool thing to ask a stranger in front of your significant <laughs> other. <laughs> like, that was not a cool thing to do. Like, it was 89, like, times were tough. Um, but, like, and so, and so Dana is just kind of like, yeah, um, I see him in retail, which, like, I don't know if that's intended to be, like, a backhanded thing there, but it certainly felt like it, because that's just kind of the person that Dana is. And and his girlfriend is just kind of like, well, I don't see him ever going into retail, because he dropped out of high school. And so she backs up and is just like, oh, I'm sorry, I think... I think what I actually saw was a job in construction and you're just kind of like, okay, he does not show a very good impression that you have of construction workers. And then she's just kind of like, he's going to be the foreman of a construction site. And it's just kind of like, that usually takes more experience and a more impressive resume than working retail. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> like if you're a foreman at a construction site, like people's lives are in your hands. Like <laughs> that's a serious job. And they're just kind of like, oh, oh, well, great. And then she has, like, the future site of herself, I guess. It's it's just all very strange. And to top all this off, she has this deep Louisiana, like, from the IU kind of southern drawl of an accent that is so interesting because it's always there and yet it's so inconsistent. Like it struck me as if rogue from the X-Men was constantly remembering and then forgetting that she was from Louisiana. Yeah. I think that's fair. (laughs) She'll like talk and she'll say something. You're just kind of like, okay, that was an interesting accent. Then she'll start to say something else. And it's a similar yet a different type of accent that she just had. You're just kind of like, oh, whoa. And then she'll like really like draw out the vowels of the next sentence that she says. She's never done that before. You're just kind of like, where are you from? Like what, (laughs) what is actually going on in there? Because you think at first that it's just an act she's putting on for being like a fortune teller at the carnival. And then she continues to talk like that and nobody calls her out on it. And then you're just kind of like, oh, I guess she always sounds like a a person who wrestles alligators in between like fugue states where they forget where they're from. Like, I guess that's just how she talks. Um, there's a yeah, I can't stand her character. Yeah, no, she's horrible. And like, and 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 that does kind of bring before we talk about Alex, who I guess we're supposed to like. Um, fine. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. Sure. He's still got like a non character really, but yeah. But um, you know, one of the things that you've you've brought up before and we've brought up before is that um in certain horror movies you kind of need characters that are horrible so that you don't feel bad that they die. Um I think this is definitely one of them. Like I think this is one, you know, because like all all three of those characters are very they seem very exploitative. Um, they seem very much in things for themselves. Um, you know, they, the, you know, the only one that's there to try and figure out what's happened with Neil from any type of caring standpoint, it seems, is Alex. Everyone else is like, well, did he figure out Toulon? Or like, you know, 
you know, or so, you know, or they're, they're, it seems like they're really trying to exploit the situation for their own gain. And so I, I will give the movie a little bit of credit there, where it's like, don't worry, guys, we've created three, three really like ridiculous, ridiculously horrible people, cartoonishly evil in some ways. Um, and, you know, we're going to, we're going to have little puppets destroy them in, in just, you know, fantastical ways. Um, you know, because Alex and Megan, you know, who are, I guess, the the other two main characters, although I do want to talk about the housekeeper here in a second because she's hilarious to me. But Alex and Megan, um, they don't really seem like they're, they seem like such non-entities. You know, Megan in particular is like a, uh, you know, someone who, you know, just events seem to happen to her until the end of the movie where it's implied something else is going on, but we'll get to that. But you know, Alex, you know, Alex has this weird scene in this movie where he has by my count, three straight dreams. And then I'm sorry. He has two, two dreams back to back. So like he has, he has an inception before an inception and he has these dreams back to back where Megan asks him to go somewhere with him. And in the, in the first dream, like they go up these fly stairs and go into this room where Neil is dancing with Megan. And it's actually a fairly like effective scene. Um, you know, like, cause like it's, you know, it's a scene where, you know, like, you know, like they're trying to make this connection between Alex and Megan um, where Alex wants to save Megan and, you know, and so like, you know, you have Neil who's like there and he pulls off the mask and it's like really like shot weird. It's like that weird, like foggy, uh, you know, kind of like otherworldly kind of state, yeah. you know, it's very, and, and all, it's, yeah, very kind of, like, it's very like high strangeness, like David Lynch kind of vibes. Right. Yeah. So like, you know, you have this, you have that weird moment there. Um, and like, it's, it's like a pretty effective scene. Then immediately after that, you have a jump scare scene, which is also fairly effective, um, where the three heads are in his bed. Mm-hmm. And then in my opinion, they kind of ruin it because then they play the exact scene over where, you know, like Alex has had this premonition that if this, if I play this out, you know, or the way I take it is like, he's having a premonition of the future that, if it plays out this way, bad things are going to happen. And yet he just lets it play out exactly the same way. And like even calls attention to like, at one point they get up there and like, she says something and then he like finishes all of her sentences for her. And it's just like, like, what are you doing, dude? Like what? So like what, what? So, so that brings you to this question then now, like what is the purpose of his powers? If he's not going to, you know, like use them to actually like change anything. Is it, is it, is 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 he just like of the belief that like you know like we're all destined to have our destinies are going to happen no matter what and like you know that's just what it is. Um, yeah, man, I'm not sure about <laughs> what Alex is trying to accomplish in the movie because early on, um, early on, it's established that Alex is just kind of into his dead friend's wife. That's just kind of like his character for a while is that like he's always like in her business. He's always trying to like help her, always trying to like take up 
or her. I don't interpret that as like any kind of interest in like in like his friend who died, um, because like you don't see him really like argue against or counterpoint anything that Ana says about Gallagher being a bad dude. He just kind of like tries to get her to stop because it's bothering Hagen. Um, and so Alex, as you've already like started on here, Alex in the last like 20 minutes or so of the film has a sequence of events he does that is utterly baffling to me. Um, because as you said, he has these like weird prophetic dreams and then he gets woken up for real and he goes and follows just like to a T what happened in one of his dreams. Um, and he just like seems to be unbothered by that. When he starts to realize what is happening, um, he... <laughs> He, they like scatter at one point. I forget exactly what happens that scares them, but they scatter at one point, and Alex stops, and he has like a headache uh, that is giving him like psychic information, and he's just like, the dining room. They're all in the dining room. Let's go. And it seems to me the implication is that he knows that what's waiting for them in the dining room is not good. Because every dream he's had seems to indicate, hey, this night is, like, not ending well for anybody. And so he's just like, they're in the dining room. Let's go. And they sprint to the dining room for some reason. I don't know what he expects to find there. And he gets there. And he sees all his friends dead. And his first instinct is not, well, they're dead. I guess we'll go. Because because then he waits, and then that's when Allegor kind of reveals himself. And he's just like, nope, I'm actually here. I've reanimated myself. Alex is just like, okay, that sounds good to me. I have zero questions. Um, and at no point is Alex trying to leave. At no point is he like, hey, Hagen, some really bad things are happening in this hotel. We should probably just try to leave and get out of here. Um, so he shows up in the dining room and Gallagher has this whole reveal and then um, Gallagher just beats the hell out of Alex, Alex offering like seemingly no resistance whatsoever. He's yeah. just like, ah, oh, I've been taken. <laughs> I have lost the war on the psychological front. I will allow you to beat me senseless on the physical front. Um, Hagen really is the only one who really intervenes in a physical sense because he kind of, um, she kind of hits him with the vase and stuff um, and gets him off of him. And I think Alex throws like one punch at one point and then just starts getting his ass beat again. And then that's when the new heroes of the film, the puppets, show up and start to attack Gallagher. And they kind of trap Gallagher in the elevator and they start to hit him and beat on him and they're starting to kill him. And Alex, for some reason, 
after watching this scene happen for a good, like, four to five minutes, suddenly it's just like, wait, no, stop. Yeah, That's my friend. <laughs> yeah. And he starts to beat on the door of the elevator trying to get in to save the guy who just already tried to beat him to death with yeah. his bare hands. That he and walked has, the elevator to begin with. Yeah, and has and has verbally said, I am going to kill all of you and animate you so I can control yeah. you. Yeah. And then Alex is just taken with some whiff of nostalgia and is just like, wait, no, stop. Yeah. It's... I don't want that evil guy to die. <laughs> and, and, and he starts doing it. And he starts trying to like to softly hit the elevator door. It's like, hey, hey, you puppets. Stop that. I'm going to give you the sequence of events that happens before he starts hitting the door. Tunneler tunnels into his leg. Pinhead punches him. Blade cuts off his fingers. And then Blade takes his knife and pins his hand to the ground. And at that point, at that point, Alex is like, hold on, guys. We might have gone a little too far here. Well, you know, whoa, 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 and like, it's just like it's just it's such a weird it's such a weird moment. But before we get into the puppets, who are the real the real heroes of this, I want to ask you a question. Okay, so the first kill supposedly that we have supposedly, and I I un, I want to underline supposedly. We see the housekeeper, who has made the statement of "Don't touch the body" like four times. We see her in the parlor with the body and pinhead shows up and grabs this fire poker hits her in the head and we see blood splatter onto like one of the logs in the fire now i took it that she was dead when that happened okay sure okay so they're running from neil and like they run down this hall she walks out of the fire poker and goes don't touch the body and then they run from her and Neil starts punching Alex. Everything you said just happens, and we never see her ever again. <laughs> yeah. And like, and when I, when I say we never see her ever again, I mean through the the end of this movie is like very like you know happy so to speak. We never get any idea of what happens to that character after that because there's definitely a threatening moment. There's an implication, I assume that she has been reanimated okay that's the that's the implication i took from that all right she never shows up again she doesn't try to help neil when he's getting massacred by the puppets she doesn't show up and attack megan she doesn't like we never see her again and like it's, it's amazing it's amazing that that actually like made it into this movie because you know, like, they don't, like, it's a Chekhov's gun. They're just like, oh, it's there, and then they just move on, which never happens in movies. <laughs> um, so I did want to point that out. I mean, like, was that, like, did you have the exact same question I did? I I did catch that we don't ever see um, the housekeeper again. Um, I took that as just a little thing where it's just kind of lie up there. There's always one who gets away. That's <laughs> that, <laughs> that's what that was. She's off like on a beach somewhere. Probably not that beach, but <laughs> she's off on a beach somewhere, just hanging out, just like, whew, I'm having a good day. It's, 
If she was reanimated and well, no, I guess not. Because I was about to say if she was reanimated and by Gallagher and Gallagher dies when she's stopped being reanimated, but no, because Ulan dies and the puppets are obviously like up and going. Um so I guess she's just there's there are some questions there. Because when a per because when a person is reanimated in the puppet master universe, her saying I told you not to touch the body seems like she retained at least parts of who she was before dying. So is it the same person and he can just control them? Or is it just like flashes of who they were before? Like, I don't know, like Van Helsing from 2004's Van Helsing. Is it like, are they inherently evil after they're reanimated? Because the puppets seem like they have like agency and the ability to like choose what they do. Um, and even rebel against like on the new reanimator. Um, so is is it the same for humans? And like, where did the personality for the puppets come from? I'm sure that's like answered in like all of the other films. But it just <laughs> it it begs some questions. Not so much even just like what happened to her, because it's just kind of like she probably she either escaped and went on to live her life. Or she got, like, arrested by the cops. I just assumed that those are the two things that could have happened there. Um, But it begs more questions, just as far as, like, if she was reanimated, then what does that do to a human being? And if she was not reanimated, was she just kind of like, oh, well, this guy has homicidal puppets on his side. I guess I'll I'll hang out with him. I guess I'm on his side now. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I don't know. My my head canon is that she left the hotel and is living somewhere with the welcome to the neighborhood guy from uh uh from uh, Amityville Horror. That is that's my head canon. <laughs> that's that's my head canon. It is it's a pretty good bit. We've had we've had two movies out of these five where a character has shown up inexplicably and inexplicably disappeared and there's no explanation given for it. Um, you know, and, uh, um, one of those movies was a classic and the other one's Amityville Horror. So, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, Hey man, if I'm being honest, that is just a match made in heaven. I mean, she, she takes care of the house. Um, he randomly appears and (laughs) it leaves beers in yeah. various places so it gives her exactly. something to do yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> down randomly you know you know i mean hey let's let's do it i'm down for it oh uh, that's the spinoff i want exactly yeah <laughs> that's the one spinoff they haven't done you know um okay i, I like I, said, I do want to talk about i do want to talk about the puppets the puppets are the stars of this movie it's not even close mm-hmm. uh we've got we've got five of them here um, yeah, we got well. Technically, we have six. So I did learn that. So and I have to be just. I love the IMDb, IMDb trivia. I don't know how they got hold. Of, there's no explanation, and I I don't want an explanation. But the 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 Asian puppet at the beginning of this movie is like an actual antique puppet from like the whatever dynasty, 
um, with oh. just like like how like how did you oh. get a hold of that like you know like you, did someone we're doing this puppet movie you're like oh I have this priceless antique would you like to use it in your puppet movie sure why not you know um, so he's that that one's there that puppet never appears in anything else it's just you know in this one um, and so then our five our five heroes are Blade. Uh, who of course has the blades? Pinhead, who has a small head and big hands. Uh, we have uh, what is fantastic on the DVD set that you got me, Al. On the back of the DVD, they call her Mrs. Leak. She has been Leak Woman in every, as far as I know, every single, uh, every single movie. And so I had to look that up. Apparently, in the early promos, they called her Mrs. Leak. And they didn't think it sounded menacing enough. I guess there's like actual Mrs. Leakes. I knew I knew a leak uh, yeah, yeah. growing up. So then they changed it to Leak Woman, which I don't know if that's any more menacing just to call her like, oh, you know, the leak. I, anyway, whatever. Um, but you've got Leak Woman. Uh, and then, of course, you've got uh, Tunneler, who, of course, has a drill on his head. And then you have Jester, who every single, every single time you. you Every single promo will have like when like I'll, I distinctly remember, you know, when they were describing him in the action figures, like he is the the mastermind of the puppets. And I promise you, Al, he never does anything in any of the movies. OK, he is just he does exactly what he does in this movie, which is basically just like, you know, be like the the kind of like mascot of the puppet. So to yeah. speak. Um, he's a hype man. Which is fine. I mean, yeah, yeah he's the hype man. He's a hype man. Um, so I, I love these characters, you know, more than I should. Um, I, there's there's a lot of really clever things they do with the characters. Outside just the... Uh, I'm, I'm always fascinated by claymation to begin with and stop motion uh, stuff. There's some really good stop motion moments in this that I, I will say look dated now. I love when... Neil is trying to climb out of the <laughs> out of the elevator, and it shows them like jumping, like Pinhead and Tunnler are jumping up and trying to grab his feet, and it's just like it's like it's a very dated scene, but it's also like I have to admire it because I'm like I know for a fact that they were like stopped and they were like it's gonna take us twelve hours to get this scene done, you know, like we're gonna <laughs> it's gonna take us forever just to have this one scene, you know, um, because that's how David Allen works. Um, if you know anything about David Allen, like he's he's real big on claymation stop motion, and he's real big on we have to spend the time to get this right. If it takes us six hours to do a twenty second scene or really a ten second scene, that's worth it to me. And so you do have a lot of these moments where I do wonder if like the director was like, look, man, we could just like have somebody off screen, just like be like, you know, like hold up the puppet or something, and then David Allen's like, no. We have to have a scene where Tunneler is under the mattress. He climbs out from behind a suitcase and <laughs> runs at the screaming girl's face. Okay. We have to have that scene. It will make the whole movie. And so I just love that about, I think one of the reasons I do like love these movies so much is because every one of them has those moments where you can just like tell that David Allen was like, no, we, this, this is going to matter guys. Okay. This is, this is, this is going to matter. All right. Um, but I really do think like the, the stop motion on this and, and the, the puppeteering is pretty, pretty effective. Um, even just like small things like how they have, uh, they have that really fun scene 
where Blade is just like, you know, Blade's kind of, he's kind of scoping, uh, you know, scoping them out, so to speak. And so he's dragging that chair down the hallway with his hook. Mm-hmm. I guess stuff like that, I just thought was, I, I, I still think it's cool. I know I'm weird, Al. You can go and tell me I'm weird. No, no. I mean, we all have our things we like, man. It's it's all good. Uh, <laughs> no, no. It's it's so it's so interesting because, like, I mean, by and large, this film is not really scary at all, and and yet, as you were saying earlier on towards the beginning of the episode, like the Jungian kind of like horror fan bases collective unconscious like the subculture of horror is just like th- these puppets are just so pervasive throughout it like it's it's so wild because um, i mean as we talked about at the beginning like i haven't really seen these films like all in one go or anything like that i hadn't seen hardly any of them like as one whole piece in one sitting and yet before i watched this today if you asked me hey who are the puppets from the puppet master films i could probably rattle off like three or four of them yeah just like just because they're they're there they're out there they're a part of the subculture um and so <laughs> you have this thing where the movie itself isn't great and it's not very scary but those certain specific things about it are so weird and have such a weird hook into a part of the horror community that they just have staying power. Um, I do agree that, like, uh, as far as puppets go, um, a Blade's appearance his character design is very good. I mean, it's just like all black with like a weird kind of mask-like face. He's got the blade on one hand and stuff or the hook on one hand. And so like it has like a general appeal to it and stuff. And like the other ones are just kind of like odd or grotesque in certain ways. It gave me kind of um, Sid from Toy Story vibes, just kind of like how like just the puppets were just kind of off Mm-hmm. about themselves and so like yeah i mean you just have this <laughs> you just have these puppets that like at the end of the day you know they aren't super scary they do very weird zany kind of antiquated scenes in these films but there's just something about them there's just just this weird allure to them that give them staying power and give them this um, ability to spread throughout uh, just kind of the horror scene um, for for so long, for almost for almost four decades now, we're like approaching that. So, yeah, man, I don't have an answer for you. Um, I probably won't be trying to buy like a blade <laughs> action figure anytime soon. But like, I mean, I can't deny that they're there. They are a part of the culture and it's it's hard to deny that at the end of the day i i do think they have a certain you know we've talked about the the killers that you know like have charisma so to speak 
I do think they have a certain charisma about them. Uh, I think there's a, you know, there's a part of them. Um, and, and I think it's interesting because they, they pull it off, of course, and they're all essentially mute. You know, I mean, they have like these weird mm-hmm. uh, kind of, um, you know, like they, they kind of have like these like weird gas that they do, you know, they go eh, yeah. or something like that, you know, like it's really strange. Um, but they also like, you know, like, I mean, I can't help it. Like when Blade, when Blade kills Dana, you know, and like, you know, he kills her and then just kind of like laughs kind of like maniacally there. Like it's like, it's not even really a laugh. It's like, hey, hey, hey. yeah, just like, it's, it's so weird. I was <laughs> like, I, who, who wouldn't love this little dude? Like take this little dude home to mom, you know, like he's just, <laughs> he's just perfect. Um, I will, um, you know, the, 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 the puppets, they they do have this I, I think they do have a certain charisma about them but i also believe there's there's something to them also about just like being grotesque um uh, when you first see leech woman you don't really know what that is like you don't like because like, there's there's literally you know there's it I, I will say this it's fun showing this movie to people that have no concept of what's going on because when she shows up we have no context for what she's about to do. And then she has this, you know, and like, and I'm not, I'm not saying it's like the best special effect, whatever, but like, it is really a grotesque way that she like, you know, like she, like, like she is like throwing up with her entire body. This, this little puppet is, um, you know, and like the, the leeches there, I think, you know, are leeches aren't hard to pull off, but like, it's pretty effective. It's ugly. You know, it's very grotesque. Um, I do wonder, you know, like he's blindfolded and like she's like kissing his chest and like he's confusing it with Clarissa and like Clarissa's about, I would say, a five foot six woman and leech woman <laughs> is about probably a 12 inch doll, you know. So I don't know, like I, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't I, I've I'm always confused when that's happening. Um he sh- he should he should be pretty well aware that that is not who uh, who he was in bed with when that happens. But that is a very that's a very classic scene uh, as well. Um, he's a very classic character, and so I, yeah, I, I, there's this weird like mix of like grotesque, but also like you know I don't know I, I won't say like cuteness, but at the same time, kind of like this. Oh, you know, it's, it's kind of what hang out the puppets, you know, like, you know, and they're, they're pretty, they're pretty cool. And mm-hmm. what's interesting about his, like, you know, it only takes two it It only takes full moon, two movies to figure out, okay. Uh, the puppets shouldn't be the bad guys anymore. Like it, like, cause in the second movie, you know, a pretty second movie, the ending's basically the exact same. The puppets are used. And then at the end of it realized uh, yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna put up with this anymore, and so they end up killing the bad guy. The second movie too, and then when you get to the third one, they're Nazi hunters, and then when you get to the fourth one, they're defending the entire world against demons, and so like, you know, there's a there's a progression to this where you know it didn't take full moon very long to figure out that these guys uh, these characters had the charisma, and uh, they don't need to be bad guys anymore. And uh, so in, it's it's interesting because, you know, it really is, uh, we don't see that a whole lot with horror movie characters. You know, like Chucky, as charismatic as he's ever been, 
you know, has never like, you know, fought the mob or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, sure, we, sure. We, although I'm not saying he shouldn't, by the way, that sounds like a fantastic movie, honestly. He, he probably should. He probably should at this point. <laughs> He's done, yeah. But like, that is a weird thing that's happened with this movie where they have really turned the puppet, the puppets into uh, these, these lovable kind of characters. Um, and the, the, for the most part, horror movie fans have embraced that, um, which is why the 2018 one didn't, uh, didn't go over so hot, uh, because, you know, they, they turn them into, uh, not only turned them evil again, but made them Nazis. And that's just, you know, was really antithetical to what they were. Um, so I want to, uh, well, I, I do want to ask real quick before we move on, cause I, I do want to talk about the ending of this movie cause I, I don't, and I, I just want, we can only theorize what happens at the end of this movie. Um, but I do want to ask like, what's your, what, what was your favorite puppet out? Or did you have one or is, does, is that not even a question worth asking? Um, I honestly, dude, um, I like pinhead. Yeah. I, I'm kind of independent. I take back the statement I made earlier. If I were to buy an action figure of one of the puppets from Puppet Master, it'd probably be him. It'd probably be Pinhead. So what's interesting about Pinhead is, I, and I love this because once again, it's just like such a weird concept. They got a they got a a famous little woman actor whose name has escaped me to play to 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 play the role of Pinhead's fist. And the way they did those, so like when, so like you have these moments where Pinhead is punching Dana and like the way they did that was they had, they put the Pinhead puppet on her head and then she had to like man the puppet herself under. And she, uh, you know, uh, it, it's just a, like, just a fantastic visual to me. Um, you know, and, uh, I, I don't know. I just, I find that interesting. I, and, and I, I, I don't know if, I don't know if they did that for every single movie because Pinhead's Pinhead and Blader, I think are the only two that are in every movie. Uh, Teller might be in most all the movies too, but I know Pinhead and Blader are only two that are in every movie and they tend to be the two that, uh, most people really, really love, um, you know, that, that have kind of like have the widest range, um, of, of, appeal so to speak I, obviously my favorite blade always has been uh he's just i just think he's so funny and cool you know um but yeah um okay in this movie all right so alex is leaving so so everyone's died and i guess they i don't you know everyone's dead there's puppets running around there's a weird uh, there's an, there's an undead housekeeper running around and then like, you know, we see that. And then the next scene we see without any explanation of where the puppets went, where the housekeeper went, where any of the bodies went, Alex is like, well, I got a cab to catch, which is just, I love it. It's funny. <laughs> it's just hilarious. And he just leaves and Megan picks up Leroy, who is the stuffed dog that Dana had. Mm-hmm. And Megan walks up the stairs and she turns a corner on the stairs, and Leroy is alive. And she says, "Good boy, Leroy," and walks off. And the movie ends. What? What? What do you take from that? By the way, spoiler alert: that's never explained. Good. I okay. would be mad if it had been. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, man. So I took that to mean 
um, that Egan was not as innocent as she seemed, that the whole innocent grieving wife thing was just a shtick, just a role that she was playing. Um, And she had learned, either intentionally from Neil or behind Neil's back, um, she too had learned the reanimation arts from Egypt, which I just want to... Man, I had it go earlier in the episode, but man, I just have to come back to it. The the Egyptian manuscript that that like taught um, the original dude how to animate the puppets and stuff like that. Um, that is, we get to see it early on in the movie, and it is just three pictures of what looked to be an Egyptian pharaoh with various things around him. And yeah. that is it. And I love that they took you that. Can't, you, and, you can't deduce what's happening there? Come on. I, lo- I love that they took that, and it was very much just, okay, three pharaohs, got it. And <laughs> just did whatever he did to make the puppets reanimated. It's great. Um, so, yeah, the takeaway I had was that she was also studying the ways of reanimation because – Let's just be honest. That's like, it's pretty cool. Um, I don't care who you are. Um, and one of possibly she had been kind of counting on these this group of psychics to kind of overcome her reanimated husband. Um, I don't know. That's kind of where like um, I lose steam a bit on the extrapolation. Um, because I don't know if she was like hoping they'd overcome him or if she was counting on like his own hubris um, to do so, which eventually is what happened with um, puppets kind of turning against him. I don't know after that point, but it definitely felt like to me she was learning how to reanimate things right alongside him, either to his knowledge or otherwise. And now that Neil is gone, she can focus on kind of honing her craft. And she, in in many ways, is the new puppet master. And she's just going to hang out in that hotel and just kind of hone her craft and just kind of have fun. I don't know how well that ages in the rest of the films. I kind of assume the rest of the films just kind of have their own thing. But that's kind of where I'm at on the ending of the movie. So... She says at some point, like, she's been looking at to, er, at Neil's diary, which, you know, is just kind of, like, stated over. She says that to Alex, and Alex, of course, you know, has, has zero ability to process anything. Uh, Alex, so, appar- <laughs> Alex apparently is just, she's just, just distracted by something else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's. Yeah, I I don't know. The the idea that she's, you know, like okay, here's so here's here's how this could have this, this this is an ending I would have accepted. Okay. And maybe this ran out of movie money in the budget, I don't know. But like, what if she had been like, what if she carries the dog up the stairs? She turns a corner, she opens the doors, all the puppets are there, and she puts the dog down and says, "Good boy, Leroy." 
and then the door closes and the movie ends. That explains everything. That explains all the stuff. Okay, like and and the, not not only not only does it like explain well, it doesn't explain everything, but also leaves you with the mystery that you would want to have because like. Because then it throws the entire it throws the entire movie into question at that point. Because like, well, who was the real puppet master? Ha ha ha! You know, and it could also explain why the puppets killed Neil, and like, you know, and I mean, all this stuff. Like, there's just so much you could have done there instead of just like, yeah, I figured out how to. Because like, because the other thing is, is like, the the way that like this this animation is supposed to happen. It's somewhat, particularly in the second and third movies, it's like kind of painstaking. It's like it's not. I, I'm not saying like it's like this weird like Amer- American Werewolf in London kind of transformation, but there is like a a careful way that this happens. And so when she's walking upstairs, like it's just like yeah, oh, I, I, now I can just like yeah, I've just got the Midas touch only with like bringing things to life. You know, I just okay, you're alive now, formerly stuffed dog. You know, congratulations and. It just it doesn't it it doesn't work with with what the movie does, but like I mean that you could say that about several things in the movie. So like I don't yeah. and you know I don't I don't know if I don't know if that's even worth bringing up. And to be fair, in the opening scene, uh, we do see Ulan kind of like finishing up the jester puppet, and like all he really does is he just kind of like he says a few words and just kind of like rubs the puppet a bit. And then eventually, like it comes to life. So like, it's not it's not too much different. That's than true. What she he does with the dog. So I don't know. I have no, no answers for you. I'm glad that they did not touch that again. That makes me so happy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it, yeah. Um, the the best the best thing about the second movie, of course. Um, is the the way the movie starts is Megan's dead. <laughs> it's like she's just dead. She's oh, just yeah. straight up dead. And Alex uh, Alex is suspected of her murder and is in an insane asylum. And so like it's just you know we're just uh, that that is that is how that is how they um, you know kind of reboot the franchise so to speak. Like yeah you know Megan's dead. Alex went crazy and killed her. And we're just gonna we're just gonna reboot it there. I would bring it more, but hey, you know what? Um, you know, I mean, you listen. Uh, we might have we we might have made the listeners want to watch Puppet Master so bad they're gonna want to see it themselves. We so might have awakened something. Yes, yeah, something year. has awakened. Can you feel it? Uh, <laughs> and it is the need it? is the need for more Puppet Master. The movies become, I will say this, the first movie, you know, even even though, I mean, I like I said, I, I unobject, you know, I objectively love it. Um, but, like, the movies become, at least in the sense of, <laughs> like, logic, uh, they, they do seem to attempt to follow some type of logic after this one. And there is things that happen that make sense, so to speak and uh stuff like that so so i don't know um you know you know if, if you know if, if this movie if this review uh made you want to watch some puppet master you know maybe don't let this one um you know keep you from uh from the others that actually after this one are much more puppet focused um the puppets are in this movie a lot but not as much as i remember them being and i'll say that 
Um, but the the next few really become very puppet focused, and uh, you know, and so like you know, if if you if you like that kind of thing, um, you know, there's yes, there's something worth watching. Uh, I'll oh, go on. I will say just on top of that, after having watched this, I won't say I loved this film. I will say that after finishing it, um, I had this weird desire to go watch all the rest of them. Yeah. That I can't explain. <laughs> so I, it's I, real. It's real. Think, I really do think it's the uh, the charisma of the puppets, man. It just is. You know? Um, yeah. <laughs> I really do. I really do think that's it. It's something. Um, yeah. But yeah. All right. Any Anything else you need to say about Puppet Master, Al? Um, I don't... I don't think so, man. It's I'll say what I said there at the beginning, man. Everybody out there, it's it's weird. It's a weird one. So if you're into weird stuff, like it's it's worth a watch. You know, it's obvious. It's obviously a part of history of as far as horror films go. So. Um, you know, it isn't quite up there with like Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream and stuff like that. But like um, the imagery and like the characters and stuff, like they're around and stuff. And like it's it's still receiving films even now. So um, if you're interested, it is it is a pretty weird kind of interesting chapter of horror. So you know, yeah, it's it your time. definitely is that. <laughs> it definitely is that. Yes, um, um, Josh, I do have to ask you just one more question real quick before we close. Yeah, now. of course. Um, so, so the Puppet Master franchise still alive. Um, I won't say alive and well, cause I don't know the conditions of it, but alive still it persists. Um, Josh, have you, have you heard of just this year's release? It's been a crazy release year for video games as it is, but earlier this year, they released a free to play multiplayer puppet master video game on steam i did i did hear about that yeah and uh it seems it seems like very dead by daylight kind of you know like it seems seems very much in that vein um i would enjoy dead by daylight way more if i got to play as one of the puppets from puppet master i'm just throwing that out there it's it's really interesting because i did some research on it it's free so i have it in my library now i have not played it yet but um it seems like kind of a reverse approach to to, to by daylight uh, because um, players play as the puppets and they hunt like one or two survivors. So like it's kind of a reverse as far as like the team um, numbers and stuff go from Dead by daylight. Right. So it's really so it's really kind of interesting. Um, also. I took a look at the Steam page for it before we started. Um, and the reviews of this game are actually very positive. Nice. <laughs> it's actually a pretty well-reviewed free-to-play game on Steam. So so there you go, everybody. If you want a free-to-play game um, on Steam to kill some hours with, apparently Puppet Master is pretty good. Well, there you go. I mean, that. I mean that's, uh, you know, that's... Uh... A ringing endorsement for me, obviously. Like I said, I think I think uh, 
you know, I, I'm really kind of upset the characters weren't in Dead by Daylight. Quite frankly, I'd enjoy them more. Um, but uh, but yeah, I I think that that's a that's a fun concept. Like I said, the the puppets are they're very charismatic, and uh, you know even uh, you know of course one by the time you get to the third one, they've basically introduced all the ones they're going to introduce until really the Axis trilogy. Which by the way, did you know there's 15 of these things? Did did I, did I mention that? There's oh. 11, there's eleven mainline movies and four two spinoffs and then two movies that are uh, based on a character. I thought what you were going to tell me was that the Leech Woman uh, movie came out this year. Uh, oh, gotcha. Um, no, I am unaware of that. Is. And uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it has like it has crossovers. It did a crossover film like way before. Eddie versus Jason ever did. Yeah, Demonic um, Toys. It did two crossover films, or were a part of two crossover films that, like, I don't think will ever get a sequel to Freddy versus Jason. But <laughs> which is a shame because that film is a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, man. I mean, it's it was ahead of the game, man. It saw the writing on the wall. It knew how big. Um, interrelated cinematic universes were going to be. <laughs> it saw the writing on the wall. So Somewhere, somewhere Kevin Feige was watching these in like the mid-90s and was like, someday, someday, guys, you know. Uh, I, w- I would love to have a, a full-on PCU, man. Puppet Master Cinematic Universe, that'd be amazing. That'd be great. I believe. If only. I believe in it. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. Well, Al, I'll tell you what, man. I, I think we've uh, dissected this movie as much as we possibly can. Um, I appreciate yeah. you for for putting up with it and uh, putting up with one of my personal favorites, yeah, as sure. ridiculous as it is. Sure, uh, sure. I will. I will say I will use the unique opportunity of Puppet Master to say this real quick. I don't usually do this, so I will take the special opportunity to do so. Y'all, as Josh said, there's like. 15 to 20 of these things. Um, There's still new stuff to come. Um, we can't cover all of them. We physically can't. We do this as a side project. We have like, <laughs> real jobs that we do. <laughs> um, real good way to have your favorite horror fest boys um, take the time to cover a whole lot more puppet master films is to support us on Patreon just because that way the math works. So just throwing that out there, everybody. Patreon.com slash the Phantom Correspondence. Your Patreon push is more Puppet Master reviews. I, that, that's, that's amazing. I I'm, see I see the writing on the wall, Josh. I am as prophetic as the director of Puppet Master was. <laughs> <laughs> and I see what is going on. And this will be the next big thing. All of a sudden, we all of a sudden, Jake is just like, "How do we have twenty thousand dollars in Patreon?" All of a sudden, <laughs> yeah, it's like just like just like several people just be like, "We need more Puppet Master stuff." Yeah, this becomes a Puppet Master site. That nothing would please me more. But I'm just, uh, yeah. I'm just saying, everybody, anything requested on the Patreon shoots to top priority for our recording sessions. So that I'm is just true. Throw that That's out there. True. Yeah, that's absolutely true. It absolutely does. So, you know, if you really, I, I, I can't, the, the other fun part of that is just how both pleased and annoyed Jake would be, 
you know, because uh, <laughs> of like all of the effort he puts into things. And then all of a sudden the puppet master, uh, the puppet master, you know, reviews or what's like, you know, setting the fatal correspondence on fire. That'd be, that would, that would please me to no end guys. So, I think uh, we yeah. cracked the code. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We, we, we figured it out guys it's this more puppet master material that, that's what you're yearning for it is it is very real the other option is that we lose the patreon supporters that we have but <laughs> i'm willing to, willing to risk it that's fair <laughs> oh that's amazing well listen al um harfest this is this is the end this is the ender uh for now and uh as always, thank you once again, Al. Uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to do this. Uh, anything, any last words for Harfest? Um, it was fun, man. We did a whole lot of stuff, uh, very different from stuff we've done in the past. Um, and um, Josh and I are kind of um, tinkering and experimenting with some ideas um, for the future years. So uh, we'll have a lot more to come. But, um, yeah, as we already said, we really appreciate everyone who hangs out with us and listens to these because we have a lot of fun recording them. So so thank you very much, everybody out there. And, uh, yeah, and thank you guys for listening. Uh, I, everything Al said, I, I will second. And uh, love the fact that uh, there's something we, we get to do and uh, just have some good fun with. Um, and uh, as we sign off, as always, remember – Fandom is for fandom is for everyone, and uh, th I'm thankful for that because that's even for Puppet Master fans like me. And uh, and as always, guys, uh, just continue to be safe out there, and y'all have a have a fun rest of your spooky season, and uh, we'll see you guys soon.